This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube. Appreciate everybody for tuning in here on a Wednesday. How you doing, man? Not bad. Better than uh, Tyler, certainly. Yeah. Came in this morning. The news had broken while I was driving in in gridlock traffic, and uh, Tyler's in mourning now. Well, let's get right into Let's get right into the breaking news. Well, we got a lot of stuff to talk about today, though. Deshaun Watson out for the rest of the season. That's the breaking news that has come through within the last hour or so. Um, I didn't get to have a take on Josh Allen and the Bills yesterday while no. you and Tyler were yeah. live. So we got to discuss that. It's getting, it's getting a little out of control, the Josh Allen takes. They're getting a little out of control. We'll do a little consultant GM. We'll do all sorts of fun stuff here today on the Wednesday show. But starting with uh, Brown starting quarterback Deshaun Watson – Broken bone in his shoulder. Mm. He will now be out for the season. This is a new injury. This is not the previous scapula slash shoulder injury that he had earlier in the season. He also has a high ankle sprain, which is usually a three to four week injury as well that they mentioned in the post that is now um, less relevant because Watson is having season ending surgery. And um, as I'm reading the tweet, as it just came through, unrelated to the shoulder injury he battled earlier this year per Jake Trotter. Um, Andrew Barry's on the podium right now, the Browns GM, explaining everything. So we might just read some of those quotes as they come in. But either way, uh, the Cleveland Browns, in the middle of a good season, record-wise, now lose their starting QB. Yeah, I mean, they just become, they, they become the Jets, which is one of the best defenses in the NFL, and no viable quarterback to speak of does it matter anymore. Like, they go from being – I mean, they're in the playoffs right now. If the playoffs started tomorrow uh, – but you look at it and you say they'd be the obvious candidate now to drop out without viable quarterback play. Even though they've had, you know, it's not like they've had Watson all the way through the season. They've been right. rattling with backup quarterbacks for a lot of this. But still, you would anticipate that being a problem. Uh, Browns are sitting there at 6-3, and three, tied with the Steelers for second in the AFC North. They'll play each other this week for the second time this year. Um, but as you mentioned, the Browns, you know, they're 6-3 they're and three on, mostly on the back of their defense playing at an elite level this year. Um, but it's also now the second time we've seen Deshaun Watson pretty much have his best game with the Browns. He's coming off of certainly the best half he's played 
with the Browns last week and then gets injured. Earlier this year, there were signs of life. He had one good game and then uh, got hurt after that as well. So year two of Deshaun Watson in Cleveland not going so well because he hasn't played a whole lot of football games. No. He's named $91 million, I think, into that deal and has barely played for them. And when he has played, it's not been good outside of the half against Baltimore where it looked pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, so far, this has gone about as badly as it's possible for any significant quarterback move to go. It has been a total and utter catastrophe, uh, PR-wise, injury-wise, performance-wise. It's been a mess. Um, apparently, so I'm, I'm, again, I'm following along as the press conference goes. The Browns have not, or at least Andrew Barry, he's the GM, not the head coach. Usually the coach is going to say who's going to start, but Barry would not say who's going to start a QB against the Steelers this Sunday mm. between P.J. Walker and Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Got to keep him guessing. Um, we saw DTR get one start earlier this year, but it was kind of like last minute, and it did not go well. And no. It was against the Ravens. Yes. Um, P.J. Walker has not played well at all this season. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put them past putting DTR back in there with you know full week of prep and everything. Uh, I would expect them to start PJ, and then at some point they will turn to DTR once PJ you know probably plays his way to the bench. Yeah, like over the course of the season. I mean, they're both going to play between now and the end of the season. Would be the point I'm making. Uh, there was something I <laughs> Tom Pelissero. The wording of Tom Pelissero's tweet made me kind of laugh. Uh, Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson wanted to be shot up to play through the injuries, and he sought multiple medical opinions per sources. But doctors were clear. If he got hit again in the same spot, the shoulder could fall apart. Now surgery awaits, and his 2023 season is over. That's not good. The shoulder could fall just apart. Just fall apart. Collapse. Yeah. Just, just the whole, everything. Yeah, that's not, that's not one great. Of those, uh, that's one of those agent tweets, of course. Probably. Right? Yeah. I mean, listen. The guy did everything he could. But his shoulder he sought every apart. opinion he could. However, we're one hit away from the whole shoulder falling apart. We have to, we have to elect for surgery. She's, she's completely collapsing. Have to. Yeah. That's um, straight from the agency, mm. right? Per Tom Pelissero. That's what happens. Um, <clears throat> so uh, P just for some perspective here, P.J. Walker has the lowest grade among quarterbacks in the NFL by about 18 points. Hmm. That's not great. 17 points. 30.8, though, overall grade for P.J. Walker. Yikes. Uh, three big-time throws, nine turnover-worthy, one touchdown, five picks, 51 passer rating. However you want to break it down, it's not good. Um, so, yeah, that's why I'm saying might be a short leash for P.J. Walker if he ends up being the starter, and they could see what they could do with uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Of course, we know Nick Chubb also out for the season for a team that likes to run the ball as much as the Browns. It's been a rough year, and they're still sitting there at 6-3 and three mm. because, as we said this offseason, this is a good roster. You know, for everything else that they've done, Andrew Berry came in, loaded up on that defensive line, got Jim Schwartz as defensive coordinator. They did a great job building a good roster. The quarterback situation, though, has been a disaster. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, if the Deshaun Watson thing went <clears throat> even vaguely to plan, they would be one of the best teams in the NFL right now. Like, if he was playing just good football, Overall, and playing, you know, if he was, if he'd played the full season and was playing good, not even great football, is there a better team in the NFL than the Browns right now? And that's no, even I'm, with the injuries, like even with Nick Chubb being down and Jack Conklin being down, like even with those pretty significant blows to a team, 
they would still be one of the best teams in the NFL. I would say, I mean, if Watson just played the way he did in his last three starts, and look, the overall grade for him against the Ravens wasn't great. <coughs> the second half was really good. Um, but Watson against his last three full starts, Tennessee in week three, Arizona in week nine, and then Baltimore last week. We said before the season, if he just plays 75 PFF grade type of football, that they'll be okay because of the rest of the roster. And that, that's, that's proven true. They have, they've been getting 30 from PJ or worse from DTR. I mean, if he just played solid football, Deshaun Watson, and was healthy, yeah, they're a good team. But um, now they have to figure out what they, you know, how they're going to create some offense with a subpar QB situation. Do they have any option uh, in terms of quarterbacks not currently on the roster? So obviously a trade is out because the trade deadline's gone. But is there anyone out there? that could come in to this team and give them a better shot than the PJDTR. It's crazy because the Rams signed you know, Carson Wentz. Signed yeah. Carson Wentz, and he might be the most attractive guy that was out there. Who else? I don't know, man. I'm, I think, you know, the same way they do um, the emergency QB deal, what if there was no trade deadline for QBs? I mean, honestly, for the league – for the sake of the league, mm. to make sure that somewhat closest to the top 32 quarterbacks are playing every week. So that, no offense to Tommy DeVito in the Giants. So we don't necessarily have to see Tommy DeVito in a horrible situation behind the Giants offensive line when he's not ready. So maybe we don't have to see P.J. Walker, even though he played some, he played pretty well at times last year for the Panthers. Like let's just let's just waive the trade deadline for QBs only. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, I didn't answer your question. I don't know. Is who else is on the streets that could play? I don't know. There's. I mean, you're looking at. You're probably looking at practice squads, right? Like, I don't know. If there's anybody off the top of my head off on the streets now that Carson Wentz is gone. I'm assuming Tom Brady is not an option. Um, you know, are they desperate enough to try and tempt Matt Ryan back onto the field? You know, Philip Rivers, the, the desperate moves have been talked about the last couple of years. Maybe. I mean, Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan talked about being open to the right offer. You know, he's in, he's in doing TV, he's doing broadcasts, but in his contract is like, if somebody wants to sign him, they can. I mean, Matt Ryan theoretically is available. Does Matt Ryan give you a better shot to win than PJDTR? Probably. Right. I don't know how much rust those guys might have. Um, like, is he still training? Like, you. I mean, you. You if you if you've left it open enough to the point where in your contract is I can get out of this to show up for an NFL team in December, you're presumably you're doing something to, to to like ensure that that's a possibility, not just sitting your ass on the couch. The funny thing is, someone I'm, I'm just I'm looking through the preseason grades just to see any names that are potentially out there, um, like a Mason Rudolph. He's probably the best number three quarterback in the NFL because Rudolph would be a backup right. elsewhere. I'm not again. I'm not saying he's like season saving or anything like that. But the Steelers having Kenny Pickett, Mitchell Trubisky, and Mason Rudolph—that's probably the closest a team has in you know disparity between one and three on a on a depth chart. So maybe Rudolph, but he's not available. He's a Steeler. Davis Mills would be interesting from Houston, but he's just a backup. Right. Doesn't, you know, hasn't had to play this year. And because he's the backup, like he's unavailable. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody available. So um, I'm interested to see DTR, though. I don't know. Like, 
if he ends up getting a shot because he did look great in the preseason, horrible in his one start, but again, weird circumstances there. Yeah. Not it's great, tough, Bob. Tough situation for the Browns here. Mm-hmm. As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You, should, you can go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Um, really quick, all that said, I don't – so another offseason of health for Deshaun Watson might not be the worst thing in the world for next year. Uh, obviously, the contract looks horrible right now. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the next three years or so will entail for Deshaun Watson. I don't think this means he's got no chance of being good next year or the Browns have no chance of being good. It's just that the returns on the first two years – they knew they would get some sort of suspension, right? They knew that they were right. going to pay for some sort of time without a starting quarterback last mm-hmm. year. They didn't know what they were getting into now other than he'd had, he'd had some previous injuries, Watson. He takes a lot of hits. Yeah. He's been sacked a lot throughout his career. Um, so that's the risk. But that's, we, that's the interesting thing about the fully guaranteed part of this, right, is, I mean, obviously they only gave him that because they were over a barrel from a negotiation standpoint. But – you are giving the fully guaranteed long-term deal to a quarterback that is unlikely to be on the the ever-present available end of the spectrum simply because of the way he plays the game, right? That like that's an interesting element to all this. If they'd given that deal to a Patrick Mahomes, you know, somebody that barely takes hits, doesn't take sacks, that would have made some sense, right? But they gave it to a guy who takes a lot of hits, gets banged up a lot. And it's probably going to miss a lot of games because of it. Now, obviously, they, they did it because they had to do it, but or they felt they had to do it. But, I mean, this is, this is to an extent an inevitable consequence of that. Yeah, and so, you know, a lot of people are going to call this contract terrible, and I get it. Um, I always come back to, we sit here on the show a lot, and we say, hey, you need, a, you need to have a top high-end quarterback. And when the Browns traded for Deshaun Watson, again, there's some – off-field stigma there too, right? They got into a bidding war for Watson, who's coming off of all those allegations. Um, the trade for Russell Wilson at the time didn't seem crazy because the Broncos were sitting there with you know multiple years of QB purgatory, and they wanted to make a splash move, not just to make a splash, but because that's you know been a historic cheat code in the NFL, having one of the better quarterbacks. Um, but there's downside, obviously, to that too. <laughs> you give up a lot. And the Texans come out looking great in this whole deal, right? Mm. They got to move on from Watson, and they found their Stroud and got all those extra draft picks in the whole deal. Um, but, again, off-field aside, I don't think I'd go back and question these moves necessarily because, again, what's the alternative? Like, what was the alternative for the Browns who have not had – you know, Baker Mayfield's been their best quarterback of the last 20 years. You know, what's the alternative for, and ironically, for the ironically, they broke him with a shoulder injury. Yeah. 
Yeah. They threw him back out there with the shoulder. Baker strap. Baker shot it up and went back out there. Andrew Berry's defending Watson. He's he's confirming the report from uh, the agency through Tom Pelissero. He is confirming <laughs> that his shoulder could fall apart. That no, he's confirming that Deshaun wanted to finish the season. That he wanted to go back out there and do it. Yeah. Um, all I'm saying is, I don't I don't hate the move, the aggressive moves to go get a quarterback. I don't hate the one to go get Aaron Rodgers for the Jets. Like that's a good example of three big splash moves where the early returns were horrible. Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, of course. Deshaun Watson and the Browns, Russell Wilson and the Broncos. But again, what's your alternative if you're in the front office there? And um, I think there are probably moves that just kind of need to be made, but obviously there's downside to it as, as well. I mean, this one didn't need to be. Like, it didn't need to be, but <coughs> this what's is the alternative own, for the Browns? What well, was the alternative? There were several alternatives. Um, this, was one, this one is its own special category of – move i mean denver had been in this spot where they had struggled to find a quarterback for years they they'd spun their wheels and they saw they presume i mean remember that the talk was that nathaniel hackett was hired to woo aaron Rodgers, and that didn't happen they eventually end up going right russell wilson is our only way out of this that made some sense um the deshaun watson thing was like you have to frame this in Baker Mayfield had been the solution in Cleveland and had shown good play and had finally rescued them from this just abysmal history over the last 20 years. And they then let him go and play and ruin himself over the course of last season with a shoulder injury and then cast him aside to go and pursue a Deshaun Watson. They could have, at several points along the way, shut Baker Mayfield down, retained him anyway, they also had Josh Dobbs sitting there in the, in the background. Now, obviously, that looks different now that we've seen Josh Dobbs in action, but they had him in the building and got to see what he could do during practice, et cetera. So they had alternatives rather than going, no, we're going to send everything. We are going to give away one of the biggest trades in recent years and give away a literally unprecedented contract just to get this guy in the building. They didn't have to do that. And this was knowing that it came with the cachet of the guy is being dubbed a serial sexual predator right now because of 23 legal allegations. So there's a large degree to which this is at the bed that they made and didn't have to be that way. All right. So that was the news of the morning here, Sam. Cleveland Browns sitting here at 6-3, and three, lose to Sean Watson for the season. Anything else on that? No. Let's talk some bills right now. Ken Dorsey fired yesterday. What was your initial take on Dorsey getting fired? Uh, it's tough not to see that as a move that smacks of desperation to an extent. You know, I can't remember. Somebody was yesterday was making the point of there's no way. It was, a, it was Aaron Rodgers, actually, uh, on Pat McAfee's show. He's like, if they win that game, which, remember, came down to, to a 12th guy being on the field, right? Yes. If they win that game, I... 11 people line up on defense instead of 12 for that field goal kick. There's no way they fire him. Even with the same exact same offensive performance, if they win the game, Ken Dorsey still has a job today. Clearly that had been brewing though, right? Of or course. Is this, or is this just Sean McDermott? But the loss makes it happen. So it's just this crazy world of, you know, things that aren't in your control de determining outcomes. Like a 12th guy on special teams is responsible for whether or not Ken Dorsey is in the job of offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills on Wednesday, November the 15th. That's insane. Like, from, a, from just a process standpoint, that is absolutely ludicrous. Um, I agree.
how, how do we reconcile? I know there's been a lot of uh, discourse around this, all of the advanced metrics, all of the traditional metrics from point start, starting with points scored, forget advanced, like points scored, the yeah. bills score points right. on that side of the ball, but EPA and success rate and all these things are good for the bills, but yes. they've also had duds like scoring 14 points against the giants in a win. And it's visibly off. Yeah, you know? something like something is off. Like there's a there's a lack of rhythm. Yeah, there's a lack of consistency. Because like even in the in the Bengals game a couple weeks ago, it was inconsistent, inconsistent, and then it's like four plays they they drive down the field. There's a lot of those Bills like drives where Josh Allen just hits two big time throws, flips the field, they score a touchdown in four or five plays. It's like oh, there's the Bills. Like they always kind of have that yeah. somewhere deep down, but. There's no flow in consistency. And this, this is why, offense. like everything, the answer is not one extreme or the other. This is why there's some nuance to this because it's not like you can look at, look at the current Bills offense and say everything is perfect, despite those underlying metrics, which all say the offense is really good. There's a lot of talent on that offense. It's probably going to look quite good in any numbers across the board. So it's not like you can look at it and say, there is no problem whatsoever. They have, they're simply unlucky. Because the biggest problem is turnovers, right? Just, they, they lead the league, right, in turnovers, or they're, they're t- tied for the most in turnovers. Josh Allen leads the league in interceptions. The fundamental problem with the Bills' offense right now is they are turning the ball over way too much. And in this year, of all years, that might be a bigger problem than it's been in previous seasons because offense is— second. Okay, because yeah. offense is down— um, you know, scoring is down, explosive plays are down. These are all ways to offset turnovers. So being more turnover prone this year might be a bigger issue than it would have been a year ago or two years ago or whatever. But that's the main problem. Um, But that doesn't mean it's the only problem. So I'm not saying you look at this and you say, they've simply been unlucky with turnovers. That's probably not going to last long term. So the move doesn't make any sense at all. There is something wrong with the Bills' offense. And I think there's some merit to the idea that they've become too predictable. And, you know, there are some issues schematically as well. But if it wasn't for the turnovers, would you be looking at, that, at those problems and saying, we need to fire this guy immediately? No. And the other thing is, there are times where, you know, something is off on, on offense generally, but one side of the ball, something's off. You know, we think this, there's, there's a schematic problem in here. And a head coach will step in and take over that side, like, you know, resume play calling duties, that kind of thing, right? That's not what's happening here. It's not even like if Brian Dayball was the head coach and he's like, all right, this has gone too far. I'm going to step in and fix it, right? I'm going to steady the ship because I know more. I'm better than you at this. I'm going to resume control over that side of the ball. This is a defensive head coach stepping in and saying, we need to change. And I'm not taking, I'm not resuming responsibility for it. I'm giving it to somebody else and you just have to leave. That's, it's a big change for something that I think the single biggest underlying problem is, I don't want to say it's luck driven, but they have been disproportionately unlucky when it comes to turnovers this year. And even though Josh Allen leads the league in turnovers since he's come into the league, since the start of 2021, whatever time period you want to put on it, I still don't think that the degree to which they have been turnover prone this year is a permanent problem yeah i mean there's a lot to a lot to unpack there i want to talk about the turnovers well really quick what do you when you say that the the head coach stepped in and made calls about the offense are you talking coming into this season 
No. Or are you talking about the move to move on from Dorsey? I'm saying there is precedent for saying that one side of the ball is struggling, so the head coach is going to make a change midseason. But generally when that happens, it's like the side of the ball the head coach is from stepping in to sort of take back control. Right, right. right I like you. I have left the offense to an offensive coordinator that I thought would do a good job. It's not working, so I'm going to step in and fix it. Me. Like, I am going to take over the offense again. Like, if Kyle Shanahan had a designated offensive coordinator and he'd ceded responsibility to that guy and suddenly the 49ers offense was, you know, not firing the way it is, Shanahan would step back in and say, thanks for the work. You can stay as offensive coordinator, but I'm in charge again, right? That would make sense. Like, if the Buffalo defense, which it is, was floundering this season – and Dayball stepped in and said, I'm going to do all the play calls now, right? I'm going to, I'm going to run the defense again. That would make some McDermott. sense. McDermott, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, McDermott. That would make some sense, but this is like different side of the ball, and he's, giving, he's turning it over to the QB coach. McDermott took over on defense anyway. Right. But, that's what, but I get what, what you're saying. I understand that's your That's the point. precedent yes. that makes sense. This is much more unprecedented in terms of a good team, despite the record, performing well through a lot of offensive metrics – Completely changing the guy in charge. Here's what I'm curious about coming into this year. How many times over the last two years have we said the Bills need more balance, not in terms of run pass, but in terms of Josh Allen plays and non-Josh Allen plays? How how many times have we said they don't need to run the ball 35 times a game, but... You know, a few of those third and two, third and threes, they should be able to run the ball and pick those up without running QB sweep every single time having Josh Allen get hit. How many times have we said... It'd be nice to have a little less pressure on Josh Allen and a little more reliance on everyone else. And then in the big games, it's okay. Let Josh Allen take over. Save your QB sweeps for the Chiefs game and the Bengals game and you know the games in the playoffs and the whole deal. How much of this offseason do you think that was part of the plan? Um, we're going to get uh, Dalton Kincaid. We'll have two tight ends with him and, Do- uh, and Dawson Knox. We'll... You know, we'll spread the ball around a little bit more. We'll we'll give James Cook more of the workload as a runner. How much of that? And then then when you look at the underlying metrics just from Allen, and I know the league is trending this way, but Allen's lowest average depth of target by a mile and a, a yard and a half shorter than it was last year, right? In addition to, um, he doesn't have the same scrambling prowess or running prowess that he had last year. He was a 90-plus PFF runner. The last couple of years. Scrambles, design runs. This year he's down at 70. I know the fumble the other night killed that as well. So you're not getting superhuman Josh Allen. You're getting this more controlled offense. And to your previous point, the turnovers are still up. So you've got this more conservative Bills offense and the turnovers are still up. And why are they up? Literally because of bad luck right now. And I know this is it's, it's tough to say this after the Monday night game. There were two games where Allen had... Multiple turnovers, and there was not bad luck. One of those games was Monday night, where he was bad, as far as those plays, right? He dropped the fumble, dropped a handoff, got away with a turnover along the sideline, terrible interception, and one unlucky interception. And then week one against the Jets, those were all on him, right? Literally blew the game against the Jets. We said that after that week. And then the other night, you could put a lot of blame on Allen. Forget the 12th man thing for a minute, right? You put a lot of blame on Allen. So how much of this is – and look, the turnover thing doesn't matter as much if you're creating big plays, Yeah. right? So now they've neutered the offense this year, and they're still turning it over. For whatever reason, they're still turning it over. 
It, James Cook is fumbling, and Allen's dropping handoffs, and there's drop passes being picked off. But I just want to say, to me, that's the totality of the situation. They tried to be a little more conservative on offense, so they, cut, they purposely cut down on some of the big plays, and the league's trending that way, and you're still turning it over, so it felt like something needed to change. So I also wonder how much this current trend of defenses forcing quarterbacks to be more conservative, to be more patient, to be more, uh, to take away those big plays. Like, how much of this is defenses forcing that to happen? How much does that disproportionately affect a quarterback like Josh Allen, right? Who has always been quite turnover prone relative to other guys. Like, the fact that he leads the league in turnovers since whenever is a relevant data point, right? It doesn't mean he's the most turnover-prone quarterback in the history of the world. There's an extent to which he's just playing all the time, right? He's going to, like, Mahomes... I want to address that, but you finish your point, but I want to address that, yes. Since 2021, Mahomes is fourth on the list, right? I think fourth, maybe third. Like, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL to... A a lot of people say he's in a tier by himself. He's the fourth most turnover-prone quarterback in the NFL since the start of 2021 because he's played all the time. There's an extent to which the, the guys at the top of that list are simply the quarterbacks that always play. But... It is fair to say that Josh Allen is more turnover-prone, certainly than somebody like Mahomes, than Burrow, than some of these other great quarterbacks. But the thing with Josh Allen is he always managed to offset that by making as many big plays as anybody and then adding some more on the ground with his legs. Now, the real difference, so Allen this year has the lowest turnover-worthy play rate of his career. It's 2.4%. It's the same as C.J. Stroud, who has two turnovers, right, or two interceptions. Um, so his turnover-worthy play rate is actually down, but he has more interceptions than turnover-worthy plays this season. Now, so that, I, I, the word luck, I think, is, gets into some trouble because there's nuance here. He's making some bad decisions with the ball, and they are costly. Um, so it's not, those aren't luck. Those are bad plays, right? But it is unlucky that, like, all of your turnover-worthy plays and then some result in turnovers. That is not the case for most quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, but I, I'm wondering, actually, his turnover, the, his, his proneness to turnovers hasn't changed this year. And if it's changed, it's actually gone in the right direction. The big difference is he's not offsetting those by being the most big play prone quarterback in the NFL anymore. That's the real difference. And I think you can debate how much of that is on Ken Dorsey, the offense generally, whatever, and how much of that is on this is the way defenses are forcing quarterbacks to play right now. If it's the latter or if it's more the latter than the former, then Josh Allen isn't as good as he used to be because we've actually chopped his knee, knee out on the one thing that he does better than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, this was, this was the adjustment that the... Listen, remember 2021 when everybody started playing too high against the Chiefs? We were like, oh boy, they found a counter to the Chiefs. They're not letting Mahomes right. throw deep. That same year, the other thing that happened is Mahomes had ridiculously bad luck on some of the interceptions that he had, right? They were going through receivers' hands and whatever. So there was turnover issues, and they weren't as explosive. I mean, it was the same exact thing. We've had the same exact conversation about the 2021 Chiefs. Now, they made it through the rest of that year. They almost made it to the Super Bowl, but they did collapse in the second half. Mahomes had probably the worst half of football that he's ever played in the AFC Championship against the Bengals. And, and they didn't have an answer until the following year. It did take them a year. Right. And they said, okay, we're going to change our style of play. And they did it. It did feel like the Bills have started to morph that way. But every now and again, 
there, again, it's the rhythm thing. Allen has probably too much aggressiveness. When we talk about luck, you're right. Luck might not be the best term, but you get, to me, it's like just uneven consequences for your decisions. So I went back and looked through all of his interceptions. And some of his interceptions are literally just what we call, what people call 50-50 balls, which are really 20-80 balls, which became interceptions. Right. And, and it was like Stephon Diggs losing at the catch point against the Jags. It was other receivers just straight losing at the catch point. It was Max Crosby hitting his arm and the ball popped up for an interception. This is what we're talking about. Like the interception totals this year are inflated for Josh Allen. Over the totality of his career, if you want to say, hey, he's got a lot of turnovers, fine. But again, it's, to your point, it's always offset by big plays, and it's fine. And also, like, so I don't even know if the interception totals are necessarily that inflated. Like, he's got 11 interceptions this year. He had 17 last year. Okay, they're a bit up this year, but it's not like... It's inflated relative to how many times he's put the ball in harm's way. Yes. That's right? When the... we say inflated, it's like... That's the difference. This, this was Dak last year, though. Yeah. I mean, it, it's inflated relative to how often you put the ball in harm's but way. But that is the key part, right? The Josh Allen will put the ball and always has put the ball in harm's way more than most quarterbacks, which is exactly the same thing as we said about Dak in the offseason, right? He is more turnover-worthy prone than the elite quarterbacks in terms of protecting the football. Always has been, probably always will be. This year, ironically, he's actually down in that area. His turnover-worthy play rate, as I said, is 2.4%. Exactly the same as C.J. Shroud's on the lower end. It's not elite, but it's like 12th or something, right? It's pretty good. The best quarterbacks in the NFL are under 2% in terms of turnover-worthy play rate. So his career baseline is 3.8, even with this season included, right? So that's pretty high. Like it's double. He puts the ball in harm's way essentially double as often as the best quarterbacks in the league when it comes to protecting the football. But where he's always been great is – making it not matter because he makes a ton of big plays. So his big-time throw rate is 5.6% for his career, which is huge. 5.6% is insane. That's And even higher over the last th- – when he's been a high-end quarterback. Sam so- Howell, who leads the NFL in big-time throws this, this year, his big-time throw rate is 5.8%. Yeah. So Allen's career baseline is basically where Sam Howell is this year, who's leading the league in big-time throws. But number one, that is way down for Allen this year. And number two, his rushing is way down. So, like, arguably the two things that define Allen as, like, these are his strengths are both way down this year. And I don't know if that's a product of the offense reining him in or if it's a product of defenses forcing quarterbacks to alter the style of play this year, but that is the source of the problem. It's, right. and, and it's being manifested in, like, the thing that everybody is noticing is, well, look at all the turnovers. It's not that the turnovers are unlucky. It's that the rate that they're happening right now is unlucky. And if you, were, if you look at the rest of the season, if you were a betting person and saying, is that rate going to stay the same or will it regress a bit? You would say it's probably going to regress. That is the thing. Like, if that's the problem, it wasn't a problem because it was unsustainably high right now. If the problem is actually, hey, it's not that Allen's putting the ball in harm's way more. It's that we're, where are the big plays? That's our issue. That's our, now, if firing Dorsey fixes that, it was the right move. If, however, this is just the way the league is playing right now, and it's like it's handicapped, the thing that Allen is great at, now we've got a bigger issue. I, I think the Bills fans that have been upset with Dorsey and the reason why he's out is, is the lack of consistency and flow of the offense. So 
on paper, if I said Josh Allen has thrown a few 50-50 balls, we'll call them, that have turned into interceptions, and that's a little unlucky over time, right? Is he throwing those because the offense just doesn't have great answers on certain plays, right? He just doesn't have an open receiver to get to. He doesn't, he, he, he's not getting to a check down or whatever it might be, and he's taking these risks just because there are some bad plays in there from a flow standpoint. And I wonder if it's, if it's really just that. Um, and part of the reason why Allen has to – it reminds me of Carson Palmer, where Palmer would have high turnover-worthy play rates, high positives, whatever, but he just had – there were so many plays where Carson Palmer just trusted his receivers so much – and a lot of those turned into interceptions because he's trusting his receiver. A lot of them became big plays as well, but he trusted his receiver through super early at times, just trusted his receiver so much, but that led to miscommunications and led to turnovers sometimes. I'm seeing some of that with Allen, so it's like all these things added up. Also reminds me of the end of my uh, career with the Mariners. Sam. Of course. Um, my, wait, wait. I, got uh -huh. it. I, got, I have one quick example. Uh -huh. You're going to love it. I don't think I am. I spent my whole I, – I know that you need to strike more people out and walk fewer people to give yourself the best chance to succeed. Okay. And I did that. I'm in AAA with the Mariners. I'm 3-1 to one strikeout to walk ratio in AAA, uh -huh. which is really good. And my numbers were still terrible because my BABIP, batting average on balls in play, <laughs> when they actually hit the ball, right, was like so unlucky. Go look it up, Sam. It was like 600. It's supposed to be about 300. Because my left fielder was looking bad, and the major league shortstop who was on rehab wasn't making plays that he usually makes. So I was doing – it was almost like Josh Allen came in and said, I'm going to cut down on the turnovers. And he's done all the right things to do that, but he's still turning it over. I went in. I was doing all the right things to have a better ERA. And at the end of the day, my ERA was still in the fives like it always was when I was in AAA. But I was actually pitching better. Yeah. I think Allen's actually playing the same at the end of the day here. And – Things aren't going their way. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think he's playing the same because I think those big plays are gone or at least have disappeared relative to previous seasons. What I'm curious about I is... I mean, slightly, though. Slightly. Is have defense... The, the, the current trend of defense is fighting back and slowing down offense. And it's not like... It's not... The thing is not like just two high coverage shells, right? That's not what's happening right now. It's two high coverage shells in combination with, you know, simulated uh, pressures, creeper pressures, all these kinds of things. There's a bunch of things happening at the same time. It isn't just, hey, we're running cover two again. Yeah. Like that's not what's, what's going on. But the point being, is this actually a trend that's going to keep going? And if it is, does that affect players like Josh Allen more than players like Joe Burrow or you know Mahomes or guys that have shown the ability to play in that more conservative style and be okay doing it like well we Josh thought it Allen, might affect Mahomes and he adjusted right, and he adjusted but Josh Allen is on that we keep talking about this continuum of quarterbacks that are highly volatile right like Jameis Winston was deemed not viable despite the 5,000 yard season because he was way too vol and that was in a in a time where the big plays are possible now nobody wants any part of Jameis because you're like the thing that you do best is not a thing anymore. So Allen is on that Jameis Winston continuum, but he's just in a much higher, better part of it. But does Allen get disproportionately affected by this trend relative to other good quarterbacks? I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on, the same way it was for Mahomes, right? Mahomes, this year, he's barely hit any deep passes. Right. Um, last year, that was down a little bit as well. And it certainly didn't look the same with Ty without Tyreek Hill. 
but they still had an effective offense. He's shown the ability to adjust. I mean, that's the nature of the NFL. Adjusting, right. Yeah, that's the nature of the NFL. So, yeah, I think it could affect Allen more than others, and it's on him to adjust. And, again, I would say the totality like – he's completing, for whatever it's worth, over 70% of his passes. Josh Allen, the guy at Wyoming who looked inaccurate, improved his accuracy in the NFL – his completion percentage is like eight percentage points higher than it's ever been. Not that that's a great stat, but it's an indicator of he is, for the most part, throwing the ball underneath, throwing the ball underneath accurately, but then there's these other plays where every now and again he feels the urge to chuck it, and it's a 50-50 ball or it's just a complete misread of coverage, and they're all getting picked right now. And by the way, one of the adjustments that has to happen if this is the if this is a a trend in the NFL. If this isn't just one season where defense is fighting back, if this is actually a serious schematic advantage the defense has found, an offense will remain down and struggling and less efficient than it was the last few years and less uh, capable of making big plays. One of the key adjustments to that on offense is quarterbacks that run are more valuable because all these plays where there's nothing there, a quarterback picking up eight yards is in, like insane. Like it's massive. So there's a reason why Josh Dobbs, I think, all of a sudden is becoming like a pretty useful, viable quarterback because the dude is one of the best scrambling quarterbacks in the league. Look at the way he's won the last two games for Minnesota. They don't win either of those if Josh Dobbs can't scramble. Like he started the comeback in the first game by scrambling and he had a touchdown out of nothing against the Saints scrambling. Like that's what's happening. At the same time, uh, where scrambling may never have been more important, Josh Allen is scrambling less than he's ever scrambled before. He's one of the best in the league. Last right, season, yeah. over the year, he had he had a ton of rushing attempts. He had 800 y- rushing yards. This season, he's at 242 so far. That's, see, that's why I'm saying I feel like the Bills in their building had the same conversation we've been having, having here on the PFF NFL podcast the last two, two years. Let's, put, let's take a little bit off Josh's plate. Right. Let's have him run less. Let's have him exchange an eight-yard run for a five or six yard pass let's have him do that and they're not getting the results that they want and so at the end of the day did dorsey get fired in part because of 12 men on the field maybe but they also did it because they just need new voices new spark new whatever right they're not going to overhaul the system it's just going to be like hey josh let's get back on track whatever that looks like new voices let's see what joe brady can do in that capacity all right let's talk a little bit about, about prize picks we've got our prize picks lineup here at PFF for Thursday night football, probably the biggest Thursday night football game of the year since week one. We're going uh, Keaton Mitchell, running back for Baltimore. We're going to go over 35 and a half for him because you'll probably get that in one run. More? That's what he does. Oh, oh yeah, we're doing more. Jeez, I did it again. It's more. Cut that out. Keaton Mitchell, we're going more. More than yards. 35 and a half rushing yards. Lamar Jackson, oh, more. We've gone back to the well. We have at least changed to yards rather than touchdowns. Yeah, we're going back to Lamar going more than 44.5 rushing yards. Um, so that's a big rushing game for the Ravens. Tyler did this one for oh, us. Oh, Tyler did. Yeah, Tyler pulled this one off, him and Eli. Um, and then we've we got to go kickers. Evan McPherson going more than 1.5 field goals made. So that's our prize picks lineup for the game uh, for Thursday Night Football. So it's prize picks with basketball season here. You can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10 and a half combo of three pointers made and receptions. You can also play alongside some of prize picks, favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. 
PrizePix even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured for football and basketball games. You, if you have a player that exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second half, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an, with an injury insurance policy. So you go to prizepix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepix.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, one last thing I want to address on the Josh Allen thing. Why? I think we've had a very good nuanced conversation for 20 to 30 minutes here. Okay. Figuring out the why. Why does everybody have to be like, well, maybe Josh Allen was never good. Hmm. Like, there's also these extreme takes that I feel like we need. If you're listening to our friends at ESPN, I like Booger. Booger is, Booger's very, we talked to Boog. I was talking to him in the DMs the other day, mm-hmm. right, about going for it and everything. And Booger's like, why, why, aren't we, why aren't we attacking Josh Allen like we attacked Dak Prescott last year when he had all those interceptions? It's like, well, if you listen to us, we had the same exact, just copy and paste the same exact conversation. You people are overrating the Dak Prescott interceptions, and nobody's calling for his job or calling for the Cowboys to move on from Dak Prescott because he had a dropped pass land in a defender's hand who took it back for a pick six in overtime to lose the game. Because that's absurd. So, I don't know, man. ESPN talking heads, you guys are making up your own narratives that don't exist with Dak Prescott. And if you're only focused on Josh Allen's turnovers and you're just posting turnover stats like Nick Wright is, you're missing the point because it's, it's not like – because it, it implies like this is the worst quarterback in the NFL, just bench him. It's like, okay, the turnovers are up, but what else is he offering? I think he Enough has, that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Right. Like I think he also leads the league in touchdowns since it became good Josh Allen, right, since we got yes. over the first two since years. Since 2020. Of, yeah. So – that's the point, is yes, he leads the league in turnovers, but he also leads the league in touchdowns and scoring and big plays. Like, that is the Josh Allen experience was the high volatility, a lot of good, a lot of bad. The change this year is the turnovers are slightly up and the big plays are down. So the, the balance has changed. Now, the, the only question is, is that a problem internally or is that a problem being forced upon us by the defensive changes that are happening in the NFL? Because... The, the answer to that question, right, which is more important, this side or this side, changes what the solution is, right? If it's this, if the problem is internal, then simply firing Ken Dorsey and getting rid of him might fix it. If the problem is external, it probably doesn't. Unless it's a new OC to adjust to the NFL as well. Right, but the, but the new OC is the QB coach. It's like we're turning – the problem right now is our quarterback isn't playing as well as we want him to play, so let's put the quarterback coach in charge of the offense. What? That doesn't even make logical sense. I mean, at the end of the day, Sean McDermott, McDermott is probably teetering on the very good coach who the Bills might just need a different voice at this point if, because they haven't gotten over the hump. You know? I think they're That's, just like we're – And then McDermott's making moves to right. you know, – We're 5-5. 
everyone's crapping on us. We feel like we're in trouble. We got to make a change. This is the change. Like it's the scapegoat thing. Somebody has it's to a go. Legitimate scapegoat. Yeah. Thing. Somebody yeah. has to go, and the most obvious person is Ken Dorsey. That's the move we're making. It might be the right move if it turns out that the problems right now are an internal issue with the balance. But if the problems are external and defenses are forcing this, it didn't change anything. Can we? We need to move on. We Otherwise, do. we'll be talking about this all day. Uh, quick dive into the mailbag. <laughs> Scott Taylor said this email in. Listening to you on the YouTube recap uh, for the game, Sam railed against the Niners running onto the field during the Thomas fumble return. Sam called them dumb and undisciplined and said if he was the coach, he'd be pissed. Well, Shanahan was one of the guys on the field. Clearly, they thought that Thomas had been downed. A reasonable notion. Most of the players on the field thought he was down as well. Yes, they should have waited for the whistle. Yes, it was a good call, but hardly the mark of an undisciplined out-of-control team. Had you actually watched the game, or at least the play, you may have been a bit less condescending in your comments. Uh, Scott Taylor, and this is an important piece of information, the last word, Sacramento. So. As in he's from Sacramento? Yes, in his signature. Yeah. It's relevant to, you know, the whole, the whole tenor of this email, I would suspect. <laughs> yes, Shanahan was one of the people on the field. Uh, I maintain that it's a very stupid thing to have I am, I'm just glad. There's a reason that NFL coaches have get-back coaches, right? Because NFL coaches can't trust themselves to not wander onto the field. They should, however, not wander onto the field because plays like this can happen where, oh, we thought he was down. No, he's not. It's a touchdown if we just don't walk three yards onto the field for no reason. Like, there's a sideline. Stay your side of the sideline. Plays like this don't happen. The end. I'm just glad somebody called you out for your condescension. Condescension. Mm. Finally. So. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Shanahan so the was, team wasn't undisciplined. The head coach was. Well, they all were. Shanahan was one of the people that were ill-disciplined. Yeah, there you go. Um, it is, however, still ill-disciplined. Like, one of the first things you are taught is to stay your ass on the sideline. Don't go onto the field. Because stuff like this can happen. So, yeah, he broke his own rule. But coaches do that all the time. There are people assigned to them to grab them by the belt, not let them on the field. I would, uh, I would never go out on the field. No. When I was on the sideline a couple weeks ago, I didn't go on the field. There's a big rope. There's a big rope there. I didn't cross it. Big rope. I could have. Could have. You could have. Chris was on the other side of the rope. I could have said, hey, there's Chris. You could have big showed that thing and stepped right over the top. I could have stepped right over it. I didn't, though. No. I didn't. All right. Well, I'm glad somebody called you out at least. Uh-huh. What else we got here today? Uh, okay, so this is kind of relevant to what we've been talking about a bit, but we need to at least take it in a slightly different direction. Otherwise, we're going to have the same conversation for an hour. Please don't. Uh, Jason White. Fellas, so far the 2023 NFL season, so far in the 2023 NFL season, is what I assume that's meant to say, the three most efficient passers are Brock Purdy, Tua Tagovailoa, and C.J. Stroud, in that order. Going back and looking through their draft profiles, maybe not surprisingly, they all have very similar strengths. Uh, it's an extensive list of similarities that get wrapped up in one statement, good fit for a West Coast offense. So it makes sense that pairing strengths of accurate pocket composure, catchable ball, instinctive passer, good through progressions, good enough athletes with, modern day, with the modern day version of the West Coast offense is killing it in 2023. As a fan of the original West Coast offense quarterback, it's fun to watch. Cheers, Jason Weiss. There's actually no question there, but I think... Discuss. Yeah, so, and in particular, with what we were just talking about, about the way defenses are combating offense and forcing people 
to be more of a like is the Shanahan offense actually coincidentally also the best offense to be combating the way defenses are fighting back yeah so I think I've seen this discussion too there's elements of hey the NFL adjusted to Mahomes oversimplified by playing more too high that was 2021 the too high thing has been a thing for a few years now um I think I think one of the tipping points was 2018, the Bears, when Vic Fangio was the coordinator there, and Fangio had that famous game against the Rams offense where the Rams were incredible. They start playing too high, shut down Goff and the Rams and Todd Gurley, and then similar strategy used in the Super Bowl by Bill Belichick to shut down the Rams. The too high deal has happened for a few years since that point. And, that, and we, we know, remember when Ky, the other game I mentioned in the last show, when Kyle and the Niners faced the Jags in 2017, which was the Pete Carroll cover three, and it was like every time Shanahan went up against that system, which they ran in Atlanta when he was the offensive coordinator there, every time he goes up against Dan Quinn, still now, it's like he's got all the answers. I mean, the Atlanta, when he was at Atlanta, was the most famous example, right? Like yeah. they ran up against that Seattle defense and absolutely annihilated it because they knew every single... And they broke every rule. Right. Richard Sherman yeah. has talked about this. Like yeah. They knew their rules, and they put them in no-win situations, and the guy's wide open all the way through that game. So you've made this point, right, that the, the group of people that shut down the Shanahan offense, using too high, and Fangio scheme and everything, they've been hired, and they've... And so Shanahan and his, his people have been trying to solve these problems for four or five years now, right. basically. And so is it, you know, again, all of this is like oversimplified, but is that the fact that they've, they've had a head start trying to solve some of these problems and you've got Tua in Miami and Stroud in Houston and Purdy in, in the Niners? But it's also, it's an offense that by its nature uses the middle of the field better than other teams, right? It's, it like targets the areas that right now everybody is trying to force, like defense are trying to force offenses into this area of the field that they haven't usually been using or have been using less. The Shanahan offense lives in that area anyway. Like this is where they want to be. So you're actually funneling them into the area they want to exist in anyway. And they know the rules to make you be in somewhere different with specific route combinations. And I also wonder when, when we connected to the Josh Allen discussion of a highly volatile quarterback, if this trend is going to hurt quarterbacks like Josh Allen, it stands to reason that it's going to help quarterbacks that don't make as many mistakes, even if they don't make as many big plays. Like, is the efficient, I don't want to use the term game manager, but like that side of the spectrum, is that side of the spectrum going to get more uh, valuable than the volatile side of the spectrum now? The answer is always maybe, because... <laughs> Again, over the, think about the conversations we've had over the last four years. The last four years has been the rebirth of the highly volatile, toolsy quarterback. Right. Because Justin Herbert improved on college weaknesses, and so did Lamar, and so did Josh Allen, and so did Patrick Mahomes. And we went through this run of, well, the next group of elite quarterbacks are all going to be toolsy and great arms, and they can make plays outside of structure. And I don't think that's dead. So I'm not ready to say, hey – Everything we just thought coming into the year that the you know that the you know the tools matter that that's dead, but I also think there's a group of there's a coaching tree here that has certainly found a way to get the the most out of accurate anticipatory throwers. Um, and even going back to like our C.J. Stroud analysis, I know the way I described him. I said if you put him in an offense where he has open throws, he'll hit them. 
Um, he's been far better, I would say, outside of structure yeah. than I anticipated. But the baseline of give that dude open throws, give him a decent offensive line, and say what you want about the line. On paper, maybe not great, but performance has been good. Right. And Stroud will hit those throws. He'll do it. Like He will throw that head-high, perfect pass very well uh, or more often than others. And so, yeah, I think those, those offenses have found the right quarterbacks for their systems to execute at a high level, not just um, – like Shanahan's elevated quarterbacks forever, including Jimmy Garoppolo, right. but maybe he's gotten a better one. And now you've got Tua with Mike McDaniel, with Tyree Kill, and that's so part of it's personnel as well. Yeah, whatever you thought about Stroud at draft time, and few people were lower on him than I was, we did say immediately upon the draft, like he's gone to the best situation he could go in for him specifically. Like that is a perfect combination, Bobby Slowick and CJ Stroud, and it's working out that way. Absolutely. Uh, right. are, are we supposed to answer our expansion teams? Yeah, so we have, we've had multiple people waiting for a mid-season update. <laughs> so I, I haven't looked closely, but... Um, it is I, a catastrophe. I do remember that I have Stroud and you have Bryce Young, so I assume I'm going to be... Correct. That hasn't gone well for me. Looking pretty uh, good here. What also hasn't gone well for me is my wide receiver room. Do you have the link? I just sent you the link. Okay, good. My wide receivers have been a disaster. I will officially, um, hopefully for next week... Uh, next week, maybe not. Maybe for two weeks from now, for two Wednesdays from now, uh-huh. add up the war totals of our teams. Okay. I mean, mine is losing. Uh, Bryce Young as at the quarterback, as you say, that's not great. Uh, throwing Bryce Young, you think his, his situation in Carolina is bad? Well, here, Bryce Young <laughs> is throwing to Juju Smith-Schuster, Jonathan Mingo, and Kevante Turpin. Uh, the backups, there's no even, there's no solution on the bench waiting to step in. Josh Reynolds. Josh maybe. Reynolds having the best. That's okay. Season. Denzel Mims, no. Jalen Darden, no. Justin Ross, no. The tight ends, Taysom Hill, Taysom. probably the best option at tight end at the moment. Taysom might be playing QB for now. Yeah. Now the offensive line's okay. Other than, I mean, David Bakhtiari went down. That was a risk we took. That's fine. We have a backup in Donovan Smith. That's okay. That's worked fine. Steve Avila, okay. That's there's debate between that's how well he's actually playing. Bradley Bozeman, Isaac Sayamalo, Mike. Kai Becton stayed healthy. That's working okay. So the offensive line's all right. Just there's nobody to function in the passing point of view. Uh, running back is basically Roshan Johnson. That's fine. Uh, defense, cornerback was a similar gamble to the rest of the offense. J.C. Jackson, that didn't go well. Jamel Dean, Christian Benford, my guy Terrell Smith, it's all right. Uh, Deron Bland in the slot, that's worked pretty well. I That's great, yeah. My sort of long shots that have actually worked out, I have Ivan Pace Jr., yep. so that's gone well. Kobe Turner looks pretty handy. You stole Kobe Turner from me in the draft. Right, and one of my kickers that we didn't know who they were, Anders Carlson, is fine. I haven't checked in on my special teamers. Shocking. <laughs> Imagine, so, like, I, I, I call the kick team out there and just don't even watch the play. I don't even I know who talk this to kid the is. Offense. I don't even know who this kid is. Yeah. I'm going to judge him on this kick. Get out there. I just call him kicker. Yeah, you just, as soon as, miss kick, cut, next guy. Yeah. Made it. You get to keep your job. Give me the, give me the next kick. like kicker. winner stays on. You know, if you nail it between the posts, you get to keep your job for the next kick. If you don't, I'm cutting you for the next guy. So on, on the surface, it looks like you not having, like you having David Bakhtiari. I have Bakhtiari no passing game whatsoever. Between Juju Smith-Schuster, David Bakhtiari, uh, Marcus Davenport, some of J.C. Jackson, between injuries and you, you got some off-field issues there. I, yeah, JC and, some, and everything. I have some on-field issues as well. Yeah. I mean, just saying, I can't believe like a lot of your big name players aren't playing football. I was which targeting is hurt your war total. Yeah, I was really I was targeting two rookie wide receivers that I really liked, and I could have had Tank Dell, and instead I went with Mingo. All right, can we let's fire up my roster here? Yeah, 
Um, so I have C.J. Stroud at quarterback. So like his his war total will probably surpass your teams. Yes, you win by that alone. By that I alone. I have Marvin Mims, and I can assure you, the North Reading Hornets are throwing him more passes than the Broncos, <laughs> particularly down the field. Josh Downs playing pretty well. In you the do slot. also have Corey Davis, who retired. Okay, I have a guy that retired. Yeah. Um, my offensive line. You have Rashad Penny, who's not playing. Rashad Penny's not playing. You don't have Mitchell, a running. Though. Yeah, well, Keaton Mitchell saves you so, right at the end. Yeah, yeah. But war totals for my running backs will not be very good. Right, because your I, first two, just on the they're not playing in terms of your depth chart. Neither one of them is playing. Uh, the offensive line: Orlando Brown Jr. at left tackle, eh. Zeitler at right guard, Rob Havenstein at right tackle. I think it's okay. It's all right on the line. Noah Fant at tight end. Doug Kramer at center. Yeah. I mean, it's tough because he's not getting an opportunity, but he would for me. I see. I see. So I was giving guys opportunities where maybe they weren't getting them yeah. elsewhere. Malik Willis, my backup QB. Um, Russell Gage also out for the season. So, yeah, I've got some injuries over here as well mm. to deal with. Um, but, yeah, C.J. Stroud's kind of carrying my offense. I don't think his war total would be as high with my roster. No, I mean – I'd call. I'd have Bobby Collin plays, though. Right, whatever about Bobby elevating the Houston receiving core, it's going to be a grind to elevate Josh Downs, Marvin Mims, and, and I mean, who would your third receiver even be? Lance McCutcheon? Simi Fajoko. Okay. Yeah, oh, no, Devin, Devin Tompkins. Okay. I mean, Devin that's – still, that doesn't feel quite as good as the Houston group at the moment. No. How about on the defensive side of the ball? I can't wait till I add, all, add up all these war totals, and, and Stroud is literally higher than the rest of our teams combined. He will be. Um, I bought low on a couple former first-rounders, Derek Barnett, Javon Kinlaw, Isaiah Simmons. Kinlaw and Simmons making me look pretty good, both having Kinlaw, career years. anyway, yeah. Um, I mean, Simmons grade-wise having a career year. I would say. Um, Bryce Hall, again, I get screwed because he doesn't play football, but he'd play for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, can't just have a, you can't have an out that says, my guy here would be, he playing, would be playing and therefore would be playing well and therefore it's good. Obo Okarakwo, you know, him and Ameni, who's finally back now, playing the last few weeks. Mm. Darnell Savage, not so great. No. Darius Rush, not so great. Igben Nagani, not so great. No. Um, so, yeah, we both got some issues. Both had some pretty – Yeah, I mean, you It's have an expansion to, team. Yes. You have to factor in that things would have changed. The waiver wire would have been hit extensively once it became clear that Jonathan so, Mingo was not going to be good this year. Are we going to continue this next year and make it like a dynasty? And I mean we'll, – We'll do – we get five more free agent signings and we get – But we, we need – like we haven't done the, the maintenance on this. Like we would have needed to sort of actually overhaul the roster based off new evidence – like, this was done just after the draft, right? Yeah, but so it's, it's fine like, because it, either like way. At some like, point, I remember. Would you have cut people? It's not like you would have signed different people or whatever. Oh, I would. Like, it became very clear. Like, I was incredibly high on Jonathan Mingo. I still think he can be good. It's just not going to happen this year. But, like, preseason week two, I was saying, oh, it's not happening this yeah, year. Yeah, but he's still on your team. We're just talking about Ross. We're not talking yeah, about the depth but chart. He was on my team as the number one wide receiver at draft time. So what would what, you have done? After week two, I'm like, I need to go find a wide receiver. Oh, you would have traded for somebody? I traded or picked up a free – there's somebody better on the street. Who are you going to pick up? There's somebody better on the street right now no, than I, is currently – We take our 53 and we just add five to seven free agents and we draft again next year. And see what we got. No, I'm telling you, there's there's available free agents that I would have picked up that are not uh, that are not Jonathan Mingo was my number one wide receiver. I'll remind um, I'll remind other people, but um, the uh, programming note next week we will be doing our preview show on Wednesday. Yeah, it's our Thanksgiving schedule. So next week's uh, next week we'll just be going Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. 
Wednesday we'll be previewing all 16 games for Thanksgiving week, and then we'll be off Thursday and Friday. <laughs> Company well, holidays and holidays for yeah. you as listeners. Walt is uh, in the chat wondering why we don't do a realistic expansion draft with players that would truly be available in the real expansion draft, seemingly unaware that this Walt, expansion you... draft was set up with the exact rules of the last expansion draft that came down the pipeline. Walt, were you not here during the offseason? Walt Did doesn't like the expansion draft scenario here. He's not, he's not enjoying this particular for segment those, of For the those podcast. of you just tuning in, or Walt, who just missed it back last June or May or whenever we did this thing, mm-hmm. um, we went through... And we had, um, who was it, Craig? One of our listeners uh-huh. went through, and uh, Andrew, I think it was. Andrew, he went through, and he unprotected players for every team, Andrew. realistically. Yeah. Andrew. And we went through, and we pulled from that pool. We had an expansion draft, and then we did an NFL draft. And then we also and we also did free agency where we got to sign somebody for ten percent above market value because we're assuming that they we needed to pay more to bring somebody to our expansion team. We went through the whole process. We went through the right. entire process, which is why the teams don't look very good because we're pulling from players that were unprotected. And then we got to we did uh, and we used the same expansion draft rules where we got two picks in certain rounds and the mm-hmm. whole deal. So yeah, we went through the whole thing. Yeah. So theoretically, it's a realistic expansion draft, which yeah. is why the teams stink. Which is why they stink. Anywho, are you ready to, uh, to be a GM? Yeah, right, right after I tell you about our next partner, AG1, the daily foundation, foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Drink it literally every day. I was feeling terrible yesterday, Sam. Mm-hmm. I drank it, and I'm back here. I'm back. Took me a day to kick this thing. I drink AG1 every morning. makes me feel great. Drink it with my coffee. Gives me the daily nutrition that I need, just like a lot of the, uh, the great athletes out there. I used to be one. We all have the same thing in common. We take care of our bodies. And uh, love starting my day with that AG1, covering my nutritional bases, giving me all of the 75 high-quality ingredients that I need to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. You just mix that one small scoop of water, drink it first thing every morning, pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. A win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL Podcast. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com PFF. That's drinkag1.com PFF. Check it out. All right, man, we got some GM yep. questions. We have some GM questions. I'll head over to the podium. I think that's a good idea. All right. Let's start reading this now. I can't remember if this thing has sound attached to it. I'm just talking over the sound or if it's just the picture. should probably clarify that one day because if it, if it does have sound, this is quite an awful audio experience for people. Anyway, question from Michael Foley. Dear consultant GM, as a billionaire owner who's been successful in my endeavors as an oil tycoon, hedge fund manager, grocery store magnate, whatever, I know the importance of taking emotion out of decision making. To that end, I'd like for you to develop a rubric by which to decide at what point a head coach firing should happen. As a baseline, I've come to believe that any head coach worth his salt can always lead a team to four wins. Look at the history of Super Bowl winning head coaches. Andy Reid's worst season was four wins. Belichick's worst, at least until this year, was five wins. McVay's famously bad season last year still produced five wins. Bottom line, coaches who fail to get four wins do not go on to win Super Bowls. 
The closest we've come, at least in a long time, is Zach Taylor's 2-14 season in 2019, and he still fell short of a Super Bowl, and who I, in my infallible judgment as a billionaire, still question the greatness of. I think that some of the success of the Bengals have come in spite of Taylor, and a better coach could have delivered a Lombardi by now. Similarly, I doubt that Dan Campbell, 3-13-1 in 2021, has the chops to take the Lions to the promised land. Building on this, perhaps the coaching rubric is gone after one season if he gets less than four wins, gone after two seasons if he gets below seven wins, gone after three seasons without a playoff appearance, making it to a Super Bowl resets the count for all of the above. Do you disagree with my assessment? Um, Whether yes or no, the ultimate question is, what is the correct data-driven approach to head coach firings? This is what I'm hiring you to determine. Uh, P.S., Pay no attention to the work email this is being sent from. As an eccentric billionaire, I sometimes use random fake emails that have, a, have the appearance of coming from a mid-level uh, position at a corporation. I'm sure Sam can appreciate this. Is that how you do it, Sam? What's that? As fake a billionaire? Uh, I don't send emails as a billionaire. Oh. I have people that do that for me. I bet most billionaires have AOL.com as their email. AOL? No, yeah. they've got like their own corporate, you know, like Jeff at Amazon.com. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. All right, I like this as a concept. You sent this to me yesterday and said, have a plan, but I was sick in bed, so I did not have a plan. Yeah. Um, but I've thought about it a little bit. I, I wonder if the answer is not so much wins, but almost using the, the analytical version of expectation and above expectation, because I think adjusting for schedule matters. I think adjusting for whatever situations you run into as a coach, but how many wins did you have above expectation? I think is is probably something I would roll into a, a rubric here. Um, I don't hate that as a concept, though. I think it's oversimplified to say, hey, this guy, you know, Dan Campbell had a three-win season, therefore he'll never win a Super Bowl. You know, I mean, you're probably right because most <laughs> coaches don't win a Super Bowl. So the odds are in your favor. Um, I think that's probably too simplistic. Um, but the idea of, you know, under four, under seven – Playoff, playoffs by year three. Yeah, you want to see that type of growth unless there's other mitigating circumstances. So um, I would I would lean, if I'm going to do this statistically, I would look at, say, something like last year and say the Vikings should have won eight games and they won 11 or whatever it was um, and use that, whatever, you know, something above expectation as my baseline and then just make sure that I have a coach who's above expectation over and over again and if they remain above expectation then they're trending in the right direction i do kind of wonder if if there's a bottom line to um like how low you can go like is there a point where if a team loses so many games you just like there's no way that i i think there's something to the concept that any coach if he's good should not be having a two-win season yeah I mean, Bill Belichick's in there with two wins this year. Yeah, but you would assume he's going to win more than that by the end of the season. You know, that's the point. Like, if Bill Belichick doesn't finish with four wins, maybe it is time to move in a different direction. Uh, I think there might be an, might be something to that. Like, unless you're coming from the position where the year before they had zero wins and you've done not that much from a personnel standpoint. It's the 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 trouble with this is um, there's so there's so few data points to use to use a data-driven approach like the Panthers might be moving on from Frank Reich because they have they can't afford to lose another year of development for Bryce Young 
So if they determine, look, this isn't the coaching staff to develop Bryce Young, them making the move now, whether they end up with two wins, four wins, doesn't matter. They're just saying, man, we're not seeing the progress. We can't afford another year of him. Where if it's like not a rookie quarterback, then you know, then you say, okay, maybe we can give this guy another year because of whatever reasons. Um, so there's so many other reasons at play for the for the whole coach coaching thing. And then you have a Sean McDermott situation where I think there's certainly some coaches historically who are better at rebuilding than you know maybe getting over the hump to win a championship. And I don't know if that's true or anecdotal, but that's that's the decision. That's the question that's happening in Buffalo, right? Sean McDermott came in in 2017. They made the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. They made the playoffs with not good Josh Allen at quarterback in 2019 and then continued to get better and better and became a, a Super Bowl caliber team that never got beyond the conference championship. So do you give Sean McDermott all that credit for taking this Bills franchise that was so inconsistent, making them a consistent contender? And now are you saying, okay, that's run its course, or this is the guy that got us here. We have to continue. Um, so then putting numbers around that, once a guy's into year six or seven, I think is just challenging. The other issue But is, I've been hired to give an answer. So. Yes, that's true. The other issue is that this doesn't, um, this doesn't take into account any of the sort of obvious like leadership things that are eventually become self like Josh McDaniels yeah. has doesn't lose enough games that he would fall foul necessarily of these data driven cutoff points but there has become a point in each of his two jobs as head coach where it's like this is so toxic that we need to get rid of him yeah and and I think any if you do something data driven I think I think just like anything else that's data driven whether it's a fourth down decision whether it's a player evaluation the data becomes a data point in the entire thing. So if we said, hey, we'll fire a guy after you know four, uh, less than four wins, less than seven, and technically Josh McDaniels doesn't fit that criteria, you just put that on the table and say, hey, we're thinking about firing Josh McDaniels because of all these you know, intangible things that we're seeing. Um, however, the tangible things that we've laid out, he doesn't really fit that criteria, but like, let's just weigh those things against each other. And you still might go against the rubric and say, yeah, of course have to fire McDaniels because it's all bad right now and it's toxic or whatever. Um, but it is good to at least have a baseline. I don't hate that initial idea, though, from a criteria standpoint. I would just adjust it for some level of expectation. And I want a coach who's elevating my team. And I think that's where you get a guy like Mike Tomlin year after year probably helps elevate his team. Um, on the other hand, you have to kind of weigh who sets that expectation. The coach is involved there, too. So that's where it becomes tricky to quantify. All right. Thank you very much. Good answer. Thank you. Thanks General for your time. Manager. Uh, one last question before we get out of here. This one is the Discord question of the week uh, from Philip. Uh, he says, Steve, is it time to just sit Bryce Young down to avoid breaking him? It's effectively it. There's some more in there, but that's the nub of the, that's the, nub of the question. It's another one where like, I don't know enough about the data, right? So everything that you've always cited with Derek Carr, uh, David Carr got broken hmm. or Blaine Gabbert got broken when they may have just been now you you've never given Blaine Gabbert Thank a pass. Um, David Carr is the example he got sacked so many times he just got broken yeah because he didn't look anything like he was previously um, but now you have a situation like a Mac Jones where Mac Jones is clearly in the wrong headspace here yeah not seeing the field not trusting his protection uh, Baker Mayfield, you could say, in 2019. Nobody would say you should have benched him then, but he was clearly a different player when he wasn't 
it was in a different system and wasn't, you know, getting protected or whatever it might be. Normally, I would say no. I'm leaning more towards yes, though, than I was in the past. Um, I don't know if there's a good clean answer for that, though. Oh, man. I'm hedging a lot today. Mm. Because it's like we've seen quarterbacks just hit these slumps. And it is, it is probably tough to get out of. But, but then how much – but you're balancing just game reps and in, in, yeah. in seeing the NFL. But if you're seeing the NFL with bad concepts – I mean, I'll say this. If you're the Panthers coaching staff and you're self-aware enough to think it's so broken that we need to sit Bryce Young, are you self-aware enough to fix what's broken? So if the problem is we don't have past concepts that play to his strengths – or we don't have any beyond the personnel moves that they can't make right now. If they have to figure something out schematically to just give him a better chance, they have to. And if they're not self-aware enough to do that, then you know that's an issue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it always comes down to is this actually damaging for Bryce Young to be playing the way it is? And I think there are definitely situations out there where it's so bad that it's damaging to the quarterback. And, you know, David Carr was the obvious one. I think Mark Bulger got broken by the Rams offense years ago. I think Mark Bulger just became a shell of himself after years of that offensive line falling to rack and ruin and getting destroyed. I think Kurt Warner got broken by it, which is why Mark Bulger got a chance in the first place. Like, Kurt Warner was getting broken down by the offensive line falling apart around him. It can, and I think Baker Mayfield as well, got damaged by his offenses in in a couple of different times. Um, So I think it can damage a quarterback. I don't know if it's irreparable or if you can piece them back together later. That's, I think, more of a question. But the situation in Carolina is bad at the moment. I don't know that it's bad enough that it's damaging Bryce Young. I think it's bad enough that we can't get anything useful in terms of information from Bryce Young at the moment. Like At the moment, basically, the only thing we know about Bryce Young is he's not as good as Andy Dalton in a bad situation. That's about it, right? But I don't know that we know we can get anything else out of him for the rest of the year, but I don't think it's actually doing him harm the way things are currently set up. Yeah, like I said, as a data-driven person here, I, there's, it's all anecdotal stuff, you know? Like, we, we had the same conversation about Justin Fields. We talked about that forever. Did playing him, did, did not playing him a few games save him? prolong his career by having Andy Dalton start? Did it hurt Fields by having him play when, whenever he took over in 2021, week four, whatever it was? Um, I, don't, I don't think that really affected his career at all, you know? And then all the – and then you have the list of great quarterbacks who sat initially from, you know, Aaron Rodgers to Tom Brady to Patrick Mahomes to Drew Brees – was that, be, you know, is, what, is that correlation or causation, right? Um, I am of the mind, though. I wouldn't hate to literally sit a quarterback for an entire year if I felt like that was the best thing for him, and that's a, a case-by-case basis. I mean, just in case that is a, a factor. And then you have all the other guys that are being listed here who played right away, right? I mean, Trevor Lawrence was in a bad situation right away. Yeah. Very bad one with Urban Meyer. Right. As bad as it gets. Pretty much. There's no good answer. 
So my final answer is no, I would not sit yeah. race I don't think bad performance and bad outcomes are necessarily damaging. I mean, you know, the quarterbacks, very good quarterbacks have had very bad starts to their career. That doesn't, it's not just because it's bad means it's, it's not, you know, it's going to damage the guy. I think in particular, the thing that is damaging is abysmal offensive lines, like pressure to the point where you can't function as a quarterback, I think is a problem. Peyton Manning leading the league in interceptions is not a problem. That's just understanding, like learning where the lines are in the NFL, learning where the boundaries are of what you can push and what you can't. That's fine. That's just growing pains. That's development. But and, and Carolina's offensive line has been bad, but I don't think it's been so – it's not been – if he was behind the Giants' offensive line this season, that I think might be damaging. Like I – if the situation was exactly the same but with the Giants' offensive line in front of him the way that's been so far this season, I would be very Consider willing – that maybe. I would yeah. be very willing to listen to an argument that said, sit Bryce Young down, this is doing him harm. Uh, but without that, I think it's okay. Yeah, it is a um, tough situation in Carolina because I, I don't think anything's good right now. But, yeah, my final answer is let the guy play and uh, hopefully learn from his mistakes. It's a tough balance to figure out which mistakes become habits and which are just the situation is, uh, is causing it, though. Mm-hmm. All right, man. I thought that was a fun show. Rambled about a bunch of stuff, but it was all needed. <laughs> all right. It was necessary. Necessary. Don't watch the talking heads. Don't watch them. The shouty shows. Don't watch the shouty shows. We'll give you the real truth here, what we're really seeing. And we'll do that tomorrow, previewing all the games. Be back tomorrow, previewing all of the week. Where are we? 11 Mm. NFL action. And then again, reminder, next week, just three shows. Monday review show, regular Tuesday show, and then Wednesday will be our preview for week 12. And then we'll be off Thursday and Friday. Yep. Sound good? Mm -hmm. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow as we preview all the Week 11 NFL action.